Hey you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you could support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello children, Cyvoxian Yelding here, and it's about time I talked about my favourite show at the... Wait, what? Who are you? Cyvox, get the fuck off this podcast we talked about. Piss off. Go! Get out! Fucking come here again. Jesus. You know, aliens who interrupt out of nowhere just played suck, don't they? Bloody aliens out of fucking nowhere. Anyway, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Wari Desho's Stream of Thought, covering Darling in the Franks. And we're now up to episode 20, and I am now paging the subtle doctor here to help me perform the autopsy on this episode. There is a cavernous wasteland where the soul of an anime fan used to be inside me yep yep i mean if you've seen this episode you know you, you absolutely <sighs> know um <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't I mean, seen it you you if you're still with us at this point and you <laughs> like you probably have already seen it or you just don't intend to ever see it in which case you're good but if you yes. sort of want to watch it but haven't watched it yet, go go watch this first because stuff happens. It's an experience. It It's one of those things that, you know, it needs to be seen to be believed. Well, <laughs> I mean... No, actually, as, that's a lie. <laughs> it, I mean, yes... But also, it's been kind of done in some other anime that that this show has cribbed from. Uh, these sort of things have been done and done so much better. Mm-hmm. Ah, this, I'm, I'm this squeezing. Is true. I'm squeezing my Agretzko stress ball so hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> can Can you think, Doc, of any show that has just so utterly, like you know, fallen apart? so dramatically like this i mean well there was one last summer that tanked pretty hard this structure it's referred to as a kata or oh, was it last spring you, <laughs> no you oh i yeah you're right and but, but well, like <laughs> but 
but it's just a different sort of thing and it, it kills me a little bit because like the stuff that happens in this show like in isolation is stuff i really like there's so much about it that i'm like okay like these are the sorts of you know events and twists and happenings and movements that i enjoy in anime especially sci-fi anime especially super robot anime but i just don't it's just it's not good here i don't like it and part of it has to do with the execution of those things and part of it has to do with it feels so out of left field and haphazard like it's not this just is if not what the show was trying to do (laughs) i thought it was trying to like do other things and if this is what it had in mind they should have like not spent so much time on dumb bullshit earlier they should have actually foreshadowed it at all we'll get to the idea there's so much i want to talk about about the idea of you know plot twists and foreshadowing but we need to actually get to that point first and there is stuff that needs to be discussed before that comes around it just didn't feel like the kind of show like it's it just didn't feel like this absurdist super robot show. Like, part of it, my reaction to it, just my first gut reaction was, like, I felt my stomach sinking into a black hole. Because I was just like, what? This is not, this has not presented itself or built itself to be this sort of show, this sort of gunbuster, diebuster, Gurren Lagan sort of bonkers show. It's too serious for that. It takes itself far too seriously to even approach the kind of tone that those shows want to convey. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll get to all of it, folks. Please, please bear with us, because this is this is like the Chinese finger trap of an anime episode. <laughs> and, and me and Doc, like, we're going to struggle to get free, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to get through episode 20 of Darling the Franks, A New World. <laughs> which I'm so very sad is just not missing the whole bit for it so I could start quoting from Aladdin. (laughs) A Uh, thrilling chase. A wondrous place for you (laughs) and me. A whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. God. (laughs) Listen, I watched that. I watched Aladdin. I mean, I can't even tell you. I've, I've... I wore out a couple of different VH, VHS copies of Aladdin when I was like eight years old. That movie was my fucking jam. So hey, I Aladdin do. is Aladdin is still pretty cool. I do have all you, the songs memorized to this day. Still, that's amazing, like, <laughs> man. But, but you know what, listeners, listeners out there, this has nothing to do with Aladdin, by the way. This show has upset me so much. I really want to like wash the taste of this particular show out of my mouth and watch a super robot show with Shadon for this podcast and so we can watch a fucking good super robot show yes send in ideas i have a few of my own i I, i've been really wanting to for instance go back and visit uh david major's favorite razafon among others but please uh send in ideas because uh, my brain is a bit addled uh, by this thing that we're talking about. Yeah, watching this episode was like sniffing glue. That's really what it was like. It was that 
confusing that you know draining that you know just it just did me damage <laughs> and i and i agree we need a palate cleanser and the thing is just that's what doc said there if you've got suggestions i'm more happy to settle for just simply a bombastic show with good action mm-hmm. i don't need it to be something super heavy or super you know insightful or explorer of of you know various themes if it's just su- constant bombastic super robot action sh- that's great because here's the thing right we finally got to more robot action in this episode after so many of absolutely nothing. And guess what? I could not give less of a crap. I know. It was just such a going through the motions at this point. It was just, I'm and, done. And please keep suggestions to shows with like 26-ish episodes, 36 episodes or fewer. The thing about a lot of, especially older super robot properties, is they tend to be super long. And I'm not up for doing another billion episode thing <laughs> for Stream of Thought. <laughs> so, yeah, something. And it doesn't have to be super short either, but just something that is not more than a couple cores would be preferable. But yeah, man, I gotta, I I have to, as you said, cleanse my palate after this because this is just this is breaking me. <laughs> this really yeah. hurts me. Okay, so onto the episode itself, Doc. Can you tell us who? Well, actually, no. I know who made this. It was, you know, <laughs> it, it was some sort of like, you know, rampant AI in Google's <laughs> servers. It was the, the it was the That's YouTube the children's way. programming algorithm. <laughs> I was. I can't. There's no way human hands wrote this. There's no way. I mean, Nishigori, the lead like storyboard, whatever his name is, you know, the series yeah, the composer. director guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean. Mr. Director Man person guy. I just really expect at one point for his face to, like, you know, retract. There's just, like, a little alien pulling levers inside the, you know, the cavity (laughs) of his head. Because I cannot fathom how any of this, any of this was written by a person who's at least read one book or watched one TV show in their entire life. I mean, you could be Timmy Age Free putting fan fiction of Superman on your parents' fridge, and you've done it in Crayola, and it's better than this. Nishigori-san, what? what's that zipper on the back of her neck? Zip. What? It's a lizard! <laughs> what have you been smoking? He's a lizard! Uh, uh, but yes, please tell us who actually made this. Okay. Like, well, and to address what you just said, the thing is, is I, I can understand how in some ways, how they came to this. Part of me thinks it was, like, that they've been kind of careening in the second half of the show between several different things because people are upset and they're kind of writing it reactionarily. That does not surprise me in the slightest, actually. Yeah, rather than just doing what they want to do. I mean, this is just total speculation by me. This is not sourced. Since episode 14... None of the episodes uh, are credited as being done by Trigger. Hmm. Where when they had been kind of doing every other week for the first half of the show, fourteen was the last one they did. So that's six episodes now where they haven't. Uh, at least they're not credited as the main office of production. Um, make of that what you will. Uh- <laughs> I, I I will actually, and I'll just say this. Um. I understand, again, as we've noted many times before, that this show has its back against the wall. We've had two special episodes now. One was Golden Week, the second was not. There's no way the second special episode was not made in order to kill for time. 
I can't fathom why they would have done it otherwise. That being said, as always, I am willing to accept, you know, that the animation might suffer in places or certain technical points. There's a particular shot of Strillis in this episode when it sets off down a corridor, and it's just literally a single still frame of Strillisia being moved from right to left, like it's been key for like it's been tweed through flash. It looks bad. It looks really, really bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm very, very sorry to say that my patience for making excuses for this show, for its writing, and how the writing contradicts itself in the same episode, in the very same episode, or multiple episodes for that matter, like, I'm done making excuses for that. The writing should be the easiest bit of the of creating this. Like, Nishigori, whoever's writing these scripts, you know, if they're sitting down and they're putting a couple of hours into it, you know, I understand that they're pressed for time, but they're nowhere near as pressed for time for the people actually animating this. That's impossible. I can't fathom that would be the case. So I'm sorry, but my sympathies lie with the people making this show. And now if Trigger, as you say, are flying solo on this one, I feel all the worse for them that they're stuck with this, that they have to see this thing out, this tortured, you know, creation. I think it might be the opposite. It's mainly been Cloverworks. Five of the last six episodes are Cloverworks. One, oh. one is A1 Pictures. Trigger hasn't done anything since 14. So I feel like their their involvement is probably, you know, more minimal. Granted, you know, Masahiro Otsuka was the writer on... Uh, sorry, not Masahiro, Masahiko. Excuse me. Apologies, Otsuka-san. Uh, Otsuka Masahiko was the writer for the last episode, and he's a Trigger person. Um, so I'm not saying that they have nothing to do with the show, but... Or, or nothing to be blamed for, for certain. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But, like, yeah, I mean, it just... There's just an unevenness, it seems, to uh, the accreditation. But I don't know, like I said, make of it what you will. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to go back through and look at this stuff once it's all over. Uh, maybe read some interviews, figure out what went wrong, where, like... Yeah. How it, you know... And maybe maybe Franks might retain a little bit of historical value for that reason, because um, as far as co-productions go, this has got to be one of the worst in recent memory. <laughs> in t- it's a disaster. And yet, I again have to say, I'm, because I place a lot of emphasis on this and a lot of weight and value on it, if your script is crap, it doesn't matter how on point or how tight your production schedule is. For sure, totally. It it does not matter in the fucking slightest. You cannot you cannot spin, you know, a yarn from shit. You can't. So when you've got stuff like I say in the very same episode that I don't know, itself. Tell that to EA. <laughs> don't eat Unravel Commander Command and Conquer <laughs> Command and Conquer Rivals felt like an affront to my childhood. Isn't Command and Conquer on. gonna be a mobile game now? This is what I this is what I read. <laughs> Moving on. No, no, no. We're not talking. I'm already. I've <laughs> got to focus my anger. Okay. I've got to focus it. All right. Um, okay. okay. So, yeah. so, so who, who? Uh, you know, thought criminal Nao Takahayashi. Uh, <laughs> thought criminal. Yeah. Wrote wrote this one. Uh, again, credited with at least half the scripts. I have a question. Right. When writing this episode, do you think he had had one bottle of whiskey or two? Oh, this is a two-bottle. This totally. is a two-bottle, right. This is, right. A, this okay. is a brown bag double-fisting episode. 
Okay, we've laid that out early. Uh, and the director is a lady by the name of uh, Miyuki Kuroki. Miyuki, uh, Miyuki Kuroki, sir, uh, how you whatever the honorific is. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm. I know that you're not probably going to hear this from your fellows, and particularly not from the gentleman who wrote this episode, but I'm just going to say it on their behalf. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so very sorry that you got saddled with this. I, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with the direction of this episode. In fact, there's one or two bits that are okay, although that being said, there is one bit that's particularly egregious, but that's a storyboarding thing aside. So, you did fine. We will not look unfavorably on you. It's entirely the fault of the person putting pen to paper. I am so, so sorry. Uh, Wikipedia has a typo spelling her first name as Miyoki instead of Miyuki. But uh, Kuroki-san has worked on really uh, the majority of stuff on her CV uh, is key animation. She's done some animation direction, key animating, in-betweening. She's done animation direction for uh, an Idolmaster property. Uh, Again? Yeah. <laughs> Take a uh-huh, shot. Uh-huh. Right. Apologies. She did episode direction for an Idolmaster property, uh, as she's doing here, episode direction. But she was the animation director for a couple of episodes of uh, Magi, The Labyrinth of Magic, which is a Netflix joint. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's a lot of um, animation work for things like Suritama, Space Brothers, Sound in the Sky, Silver Spoon, Seven Deadly Sins, Hunter x Hunter, all kinds of things. She's animated a lot of good stuff. She's part of Darling in the Franks, uh, episode 20, uh, Atarashi Sekai, A New World. I'm, again, you have my sympathies. Because the CV going forward, like, oh my god, you're involved with that? Oh no. <laughs> So, so no, like I said, I my eye now for this show, as it has been for much of it, is focused on the script writing, the thing that's the easiest thing in terms of time to do. And I again, I have to say, like, thinking back on how far we've come with this show, if it had just been simply a bombastic super robot show like what we were saying before, I'd have been totally all right. I'd probably loved it. I'd have really enjoyed it. It did need to be deep or meaningful. Nothing needs to in order for me to enjoy it. Like that's the kind of stuff that I prefer, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy. You know, something that's just like pure entertainment, pure you know bombast, pure energy. Well, from the very from the very beginning, though, it sets the table with like weighty, weighty things and issues, and not just in terms of like sci-fi world building and you know, kind of sci-fi questions that are uh age-old ones uh it sets the table with gender politics and things like that that it just uh man it really tries to punch above its weight it it just doesn't have the chops to handle any of that stuff well nope and this episode is the proverbial throwing in the towel thereof on attempting to have anything to say apart from something which we'll get to which well it's a repeat of something that made me really mad previously, and I'm glad to see that at least Franks is being honest with everyone now about it. <laughs> Good, glad, you know, I mean, like, people have said to me, oh, you can't presume, you know, that that's the viewpoint it takes cause it, just because it doesn't say anything else. I'm like, well, let's speak to the camera on this one, folks, because, by God, that particular part of direction, I was just like, I knew it. I fucking knew it. Mm. I fucking knew this show had a stupid 
pissant viewpoint to me that I mean it has many admittedly and I'm so, and that's not me discrediting the way that people have read into other things like you know the heteronormativity and the like but by fucking god is it the most Fisher Price you know perspective on you know kids of the future like you know and that you know people should be procreating I get that that's a big issue in Japan and all that but as I've said before there are very complicated but also very obvious reasons why that is so simply making the statement of have kids for the motherland or whatever uh doesn't cut it it doesn't you need to have a bit more of a smart you know a bit more intelligence behind you than that so uh no fuck you franks fuck you very much okay let us now actually talk about the episode so a whole new world and you can indeed dare close your eyes while watching this episode because <laughs> Please it sucks. close your eyes, yeah. Yeah, just put your fingers <laughs> So, okay, we have the kids at the bird's nest. And they have a narration going on by a new lady that we've not met before. And I actually timed this. It took eight seconds for this episode to piss me off. Eight seconds. <laughs> it took. That's how long it got before I had to pause it because I had to comment on something that I said. This lady is narrating that they have captured the Grand Crevasse, the place that we've talked about previously. And she says, we've also captured the giant weapon called the Star Entity underneath it. And that was the moment I hit the pause button. The Star Entity. <laughs> yeah. What is the Star Entity? Shruggo. I mean, we find out <laughs> yeah. during this episode what it is. But was it, was it ever foreshadowed or alluded to previously? No. No, it wasn't. The Grand Crevasse, as I said before, was attacked for basically no reason other than because now getting ahead of ourselves a bit here but there was mention that they wanted to get zero two to the grand crevasse in a previous episode here's the thing doc as you've said before like you know they seem to be veering all over the show here like trying to correct a skidding car so when they say like you know that they wanted to get zero two for the grand crevasse i don't believe that it was to get to the, to the star entity as it turns out that they want to do i think that this is again something they've just made up yeah it could have been for any number of reasons and it would behoove them to, you know, properly, you know, foreshadow this. I mean, we've had so many scenes of the Robo-Bishops discussing information that the characters wouldn't know about. So if they ever wanted to drop the Star and C's name, then that would have been the time. Now, yes, I will be fair. I have complained numerous times about them dropping terms that they don't explain, like Fring Horny, uh, which we still don't really know what the hell that was being well, made for. It's by a big way. spear. Uh, Great. I'm sure it will come into play in the final battle. It will be used to destroy the Star Entity. There you go. Spoiled it for you, folks. So, if I had to predict, I would predict that Hero and Zero Two will take back the Star Entity mm-hmm. and use the sphere to destroy whether it's the Clax Queen or the the other malevolent entity that appears. <laughs> The good kids will use it to right right the day, right the wrongs. I reckon that the Klaxosaur Princess Sarah Kerrigan is going to die early, and it's going to be up to zero two to take over where she left off. That's my motherfuck. <laughs> and she'll have to like be the new queen. <laughs> yeah, and that keeps God damn it. because that was the ending of the Beast and the Prince. <sighs> I was going to uh... ask you what the last page was because she refers to it in the first half of this episode. I'm like, I can't remember what the last page was. There's also there's also four minutes of Hero and Zero Two talking about, like, you know, the future and all that. And by God, like, I was just like, nope. 
someone gonna die. Like, Death likes the show again. We said it many poor... times, but this was four straight minutes of it. <laughs> They're, like, talking, having this very intimate conversation and, like, kissing. And then you have Werner Frank standing there <laughs> on the same elevator, just trying not to listen. Or maybe he's filming it. Who fucking knows what that creep... I, I don't know. He's probably playing fake granddaughter on his fucking iPhone or something. Finally, I'll get my saber! When you say iPhone, do you mean the phone inside of his cybernetic eye? Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. Oh, that's amazing. All right, so, okay, Star and State, something that was hit her, so not explained or foreshadowed, whatever. The Frank's pilots are now all being tasked to guard it as the Klaxos are coming to attack again. Now, there is one bit of good direction here in that this new lady, we don't actually see her face for a lot of time. Like, it cuts off just below her eye line, the top of the frame. Uh, which I like as a you know a means of making her look inhuman, like there's a figure we don't recognise. Because as it turns out, this is Nana. And by that I mean it's not the Nana that we know, it's a new one. So It's a female I... Guy Fox mask. <laughs> <laughs> so I had actually for the longest time thought to myself, could Nana possibly actually be her name? Because I think Nana is actually a Japanese name. Am I right? It is. It's, uh, it's the number seven. Well, I was actually about to get to this. It turns out this lady's code number is 007. Sorry, you can't can't throw them out there. They only have to go through two more new caretakers before they get to Batman as the caretaker. (laughs) Because you've had Nana, then Nana, 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 and then That's the best. Nice. I've, I've been outdone. I can never. Uh, that is peak. We peak, Sarah, on Warrior Destro, folks. That's the that's the best fucking thing I have ever heard in possibly my entire. Still, still all my jokes from Twitter. <laughs> it works. It works. It works. Um, I have a question about this lady, though. Now, it's mentioned much earlier in the show's run that single digit codes are rare. So, okay. Aren't the single digit codes, like, meant to be reserved for the nines? That was my impression. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Also, they just stripped Nana of her code number, right? Pass. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I thought it was the title as in, you know, Nanny. That's what I thought Ah, it was like. No, so yeah, I just thought it was they were just calling her that because it was her number. But, I mean, who knows? Perhaps that is intended wordplay. As a counterpart to Papa, of course. Papa and Nana, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is also why, the, you know, the Nana's a female, is so he's seen. Um, they start saying, like, you know, isn't this risky that we're going after the Klaxosaur weapon, blah, 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 blah. Nana's just like, ah, it's fine, don't worry about it. She does, so, I know. She just doesn't say anything. They're like, isn't this a huge risk? And she's like, smile, and then cuts away. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, if you liked the scenes in the previous episode of Hero impotently <laughs> shaking his fist at the eight guys, then you're going to get a bonus slice of it here. <sighs> because they explain that the way this is going to work is that Star and Sea has been buried at the bottom of Grand Crevasse for God knows how long. They modified it so it can accept a Franks as an interface, and that interface is going to be Strelizia. So, Zero Two and Hero are going to go to the uh, Star and Sea, activate it, and use it to wipe out all of the Klaxosaurs. They have to. With Strelis. They do. Mm, mm, mm. And they, you know, say, like, what happens if we exterminate the Klaxosaurs? Will there be a future for us? And I'm like, really? 
Really, hero? You are asking. You are asking the people. You are asking the people. <laughs> at least they lied who, this time, and they weren't didn't just stare at him and let the silence I, speak for them. <laughs> I mean, I've I've really, I really can't believe how dense he is that he would think to ask this of them and expect an honest answer. As I've said in the previous episode, <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Whatever. Mo- moving on. Well, it, did, I like his his final line. Uh, were you going to talk about that? <laughs> says, is that the way he said? Is that where he says it? This is the last time we call you Papa. Do, oh no, he, he won't let you decide our destiny does, anymore. Does he? Hey, first of all, I couldn't help but like think. Throw your hands in the air if he's a true player. I love it when you call me Big Papa. Uh, when Hero did that, <laughs> but does he mean? Uh, this is the last time we're going to call you Papa. Or does he mean, this is the last time we'll refer to you as Papa? Going forward is just your given name, Daryl. I, I don't know. Uh, look, basically, again, it's him, you know, being all like, oh, I don't like you. I'm like, <sighs> there is a good reason, that actually, as, as this episode reveals as to why the Ape Council don't just have him shot. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Yeah. I genuinely w- wondered why they just didn't shoot him. I mean, okay, they need zero two to activate the Starancy, but they could just have a disposable pilot in place, you know, with her to get there. They don't need him in particular. So after the OP, uh, we cut back to blah, 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 blah. this. This episode scrambled my brain so hard I can barely remember. It's just all over the map. Uh, Frank's sitting at what looks like a, re- a reception desk. He has like, a very messy desk. It's a very messy. It's a re- it, like he has no screens there, but the screens are behind him. Like, who designed this office? This is absolute rubbish. <laughs> but, like, everything is so clean in this world. Like, the rest of the room, even, is just, like, black with, like, orange. It's consistent with his characters, to be fair. I, yeah, it's true. At least they got that bit right. They handled that small bit of continuity. Congratulations, writers of Franks. You remembered their character, you know, might potentially, you know, not be particularly tidy. That's a really important thing to you know get right in your story. It just made me laugh. Uh, it, it was you know it makes sense, like you said. It just visually that they took the time. To yeah, show, it just made me laugh. Um, so the the crux of this scene is basically Frank's asking Hatchie, you know, where Nana is and how she's getting on Hatchie because I think he's had his brain scrambled. At some <laughs> he's point. just a that, fucking just re- robot. <laughs> I really think he is. He says, "Oh, Nana's doing fine," and Frank's like, "No, the other one." And I'm like. What, so you could get your gropey, you know, robot hand on her again? Where's my lady? You don't get to ask after someone like that that you treated like a piece of meat. Shut the fuck up. Apparently when Hatchie got, you know, that haircut, he also got a lobotomy. They took his gorgeous hair and his brain. Rip Hatchie. Oh, dear. Okay, so the kids are having snacks, what looks like, you know, Rivisa biscuits or something in the you oh, know, man. cage. Oh, man, your favorite scene right here. <laughs> it's... I will be fair to this scene, and nothing untoward actually happens in it, but it does make me very scared of mm-hmm. untoward things that will happen in the future. Yeah. So, after a discussion between Goro and Futoshi, where Goro's all like, I guess you still haven't got over it, eh? And Goro gives him a scowl, and I'm just like, just, just, just get out of this show. Just, just, <laughs> no. Like, just, he's obviously, I mean, the thing is... Fatoshi notices that they're not wearing their rings anymore. I'm like, okay, Fatoshi, why are you paying attention to that? Oh, that's right, because, you know, you're a possessive piece of shit who wants to, you know, 
look over these details, you know, closely. Say, oh, the rings have gone. Hey, well, maybe I'm (laughs) no, just, just, just guess out. I mean, if to be fair, if he thought that, he probably would have piloted with her when she came back and had her memory wiped. Oh, I, I, just even thinking about that is just (laughs) like, oh yeah, time to get back in the good graces, baby. But back in the saddle, literally. (laughs) I know. Well, at least he doesn't go there, but I, I don't know, man. I'm done with him. I hope he, I hope he comes roadkill. I, I wouldn't mind. Let, let, let him become rogue. I would not care. I wouldn't mind when he exits the show, but he won't. He'll live yeah. till the end. <laughs> it's just like we were saying with Emily. Like I don't, I truly don't think any of these characters are going to die. Any of the humans. Well, about that, we'll get on the side in just a moment. Besides, um, you know, Frank's. Not notwithstanding. Oh, right. No, we'll get signed a bit. <laughs> um, so uh, while they're eating, Kokoro suddenly throws her hands to her mouth. And next cut, she's in the toilets and she's throwing up. And they mention very specifically it's been happening for a few weeks. Now, there are two explanations for this. One, they only have a really rancid Taco Bell in there. There's one explanation for this. <laughs> oh, there is, there is. There is. I'm just taking the piss. Um, but... Yes, Kokoro has morning sickness, and therefore she is definitely prego. She is preggers. There is a bun in the oven. Insert more euphemisms. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm good. <laughs> That's as many as I want to do. But um, okay, let's let's discuss this briefly. There is nothing wrong. I should stress with you know pregnancy as a narrative you know function as you know something that happens to characters, or indeed in real life. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know that's great. It's wonderful. In this particular show, though, to this particular character, I am very, very worried. I mean, I alluded to this in the previous episode, but I think it needs a bit more explanation so I can truly get why this concerns me. Mitsu and Kokoro are not the main characters of this story. Despite the fact that I would argue that if you'd watched Darling in the Franks from episode 16 onwards and knew nothing of the previous episodes, you'd probably think they were, or at least they mm. were, like, you know, up there. I am very, very worried about the writers using Kokoro's pregnancy as for something, some kind of pathos. There are thousands of one ways that I could think that this could be used and it would be awful and horrible. And I'm not even going to voice any of them. But here's the thing. It's like I said on Twitter. There is a difference between feeling tension because you are concerned for the character's welfare because you're emotionally invested in them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And there is tension because you do not trust the writers to handle this topic with the maturity it requires, or not to use it for cheap drama. That's I'm in I'm the latter. So I'm not going to hold it against the episode because this is about the the most we learn in matters. Like we learn she's pregnant, and the optimistic side of me reckons that if anything is going to happen, the closing scene of the show will probably feature an insert shot of them both with the baby. You know, however many months down the line it is after the, you know, the conflict wraps up, you know, and they're looking out and the sun's rising and it's a new dawn, you know, the usual stuff. That will probably most likely be the thing they do. But I can't write off the possibility of other more heinous things happening. I mean, yeah, God only knows what the possible futures are for this plot element. Uh, anyway, I like that Miku here. It's, it's like, you know, you don't belong to Papa. That was, uh, that's a, a nice sentiment and 
in and of itself and also like could possibly create an interesting tension between her partner and she you know his illusions have been recently shattered but i mean we've seen that the show likes to like flip-flop with how zealous he is i think miku's gonna probably come out as the most likable character i mean or one of the most yes and who would have thought that (laughs) i mean what has miku what has actually happened to miku in the show or how has she changed as a character Nothing. She hasn't. Nothing has happened. She just plays off other people a little bit. That's you know. That's no, it. I mean, I could go through. I could go through the other ladies and say, like, you know, Ikino revealed to Ichigo that she's gay. Oh yeah, she's she's great. I like her. She's she trumps Biku, I think. But here's the thing, right? You know, at least something has happened with the other female characters in this show, even if it's token stuff. Or I mean, like I say zero two zero two stuff. Yeah, Kokoro, you know, she's up the duff. So Ichigo still rules. Ichigo. Ichigo, yeah, she's had plenty of stuff going on with her. Hasn't really done anything for, for a couple weeks. Actually, can I just throw something out there that I've just realized? Ichigo's the team leader. Why is it Hero who's speaking for them so often in these, you know, group I mean, meetings with Ape? Because. Because the writers don't know what they're doing. I mean, and apparently they're just, it's it's nothing now for, like, Hero Zero Two and... This guy, Dr. Werner Frank, who they didn't really know from Adam until recently to, like, get together and call Ape. It just happened all the time. <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. I, you know, if if you someone told me that the reason Ichigo has had such a background presence for the past, like, couple of episodes is in response to people sending, a, you know, rubbish the way of the production staff as a result of episode 14, I would potentially buy that. And I would also be incredibly saddened by it. Mm-hmm. Because if there's one thing you can say about episode 20 is that it kind of puts, you know, the idea in your head that maybe they are being reactionary with their writing. Because there's the twist later on. Changes things so fundamentally that, you know... We'll get to it, but just, just, I mean, just take it from yeah, me. Just the way they squashed... The love triangle stuff. I mean, not that, you know, feelings from Hero were ever there for Ichigo. But the kiss, all that stuff, when Zero Two left Mistleton, man, they just, it resolved so so quickly. It really did just feel like they were in a hurry to move on from it to yeah. uh, to get on the other side of the backlash. And has Ichigo changed as a character or learned from her experience as a love triangle? Yes, Yes, I suppose, but has that been actually massed in the long term? No. Not really. Alright, back on topic. So, all the the kids are lined up in the assembly hall. You know, they're taking names, you know, checking the lunch register and all that before they sit them down for their exams. Uh, No, they're actually going to say some, right, the battle's about to commence, you know, glory to our Stotka, the the usual, you know. (laughs) The, 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 the usual, you know, I'm standing behind a podium while I'm ranting and raving about the weakness of our enemies who are still so paradoxically... Str- fuck it, whatever. A-P-E, ape, A-P-E, ape. Huzzah! Where are we going to go? Ape! Where are we going to do it? <laughs> now! Okay, so... The nines are all at the top because they're the class prefects of this little school that are going on, I suppose. And nine alpha, you know, spots are group of heroes in the crowd who stick out like sore thumbs because they've got this, you know, the different coloured uniforms. And what follows is a scene that I just... I... I... <laughs> you know... 
you know, I described the Nines as cartoon villains before, but this is going to the next level because there's nothing that this following scene accomplishes with the exception of a certain framing bit that I'll get to. But insofar as what it tells about the Nines, it makes them out to be like snidely whiplash, like, you know, dick dastardly level of villainy. If Nine Alpha had a mustache, he would be <laughs> twirling it. Before all this, by the way, isn't there like when all the kids are gathered, they show like outside the auditorium and in kanji it spells across the screen D Day? <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> D Day. When you've creatively bottomed out and you can't even. I mean, God. I suppose on some level you could argue that the clack, because while we learn later, the Klaxosaurs are not quite so evil and therefore, you know, that they're invading, but they're not crossing a body of water to get here and it's not a beach that they've been beaten. No, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Why? If it was K Day, that'd be something. That would be something. Klaxosaur Day. But no, it isn't. Just Green Day would have been better. <laughs> Fucking green day. <laughs> just, I I was pissing myself with laughter when that came, but I can't believe I forgot about it. Midori day. The Frank's the show has not been very good with you know subtitling its locations, as we'll get to in a bit. When you know the show reaches its nadir, <laughs> literally and metaphorically. <laughs> yes, yes, they go to the bottom. <laughs> but literally, but yes, the nines come in down the corridor to chase it with our heroes and they make two statements and I thought wow Nine Alpha you have not got a self-aware bone in your fucking body you useless little pipsqueak because he says wow you guys suck out like a sore thumb and I'm like Nine mate you are wearing red jumpsuits and you were at the very front of the auditorium you could have been spotted from another country like (laughs) are you a fucking idiot like Someone making that as an insult when they themselves are guilty of it is just, it's just laughable. What do they do? Like, do they just adopt a, like, different posture? And then the other nine, the green-headed one, says, like, look at you, you're so aggressive, like a bunch of animals. You're so openly hostile. You're, like, so openly hostile. And, like, g- like, guys, they shifted they their weight. In- <laughs> g- um, nines? They haven't said anything to you. They were leaving to go elsewhere. You're reading too far ahead. <laughs> you have to wait for them to read their lines. You'll excuse me if you just, you know, if I find everything you're saying pointless and stupid. I mean, again, this scene, the nines are bad and we're not meant to like them. And, and I think, like, they broke up the wedding. They ratted on the wedding. This has been so firmly established right now. Any m- more establishing shots of, or, you know, scenes of this, of them being bad people is just amateurish this writing is rubbish yeah it's clear they're just like schoolyard bullies like walking up and like picking on them and then zero two fires off a good comeback and nine is uh, like the cup just just shut up we're leaving i am rubber you are glue that's literally the level of insult trading that's going on here Come on, let's let's go somewhere where we don't have to think about the future, like these losers, nerds. I, uh, you know what? <laughs> when where's where's the deleted scene of Nine Alpha walking away and making the L sign over his That's, forehead? Yes, yes. Okay, so Zero Two does indeed fire back with a retort, which is that these guys are better than you, and they've got their eye on the future. 
Now, now, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I am going to gloat a little bit here because I was right. <laughs> or at least I still feel very strongly that I was right. Mm -hmm. When I went off on one really hard in episode 17 about Frank's The Show, postulating that the only future, you know, that one can reasonably have is one that's defined by having children. That that's your that's your way to like make your mark. Is yes, that is correct. Yeah. Is to have a kid. This was your argument. Yes. This was my argument. And in this scene, as Zero Two is uttering the line when which goes against something like these kids have their eyes on the future. Now I put pause in there because after that pause we cut away from Zero Two to Kokoro. And the camera angle of this is lowered down so we don't see most of Kokoro's face, but it's framing her body, and in particular her belly area. Bear in mind the info we learned before. The framing, combined with the words that Zero Two is speaking here, very specifically in my mind, state that by eyes on the future of, you know, having children. Info, by the way, that Zero Two is not privy to. So this is not her saying that. This is the show's standpoint by merging it with this shot and this framing. And yes, there is the argument as before that the show, you know, shouldn't need to offer alternatives, you know, to make that, you know, make that case. Like we can still believe that there are other ways to leave marks on the future. Well, this is a, apart this from is children. A pretty, this is a feather in your cap, though. This is a pretty strong piece of uh, of evidence here. What they're doing. Uh, more or less, I don't know if subliminally is the right word, but like they're, you know, they combine, as you said, the line with that shot to bring home the point. And yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I think that that makes their case uh, actually kind of, kind of strong. And, and even if they're not like saying the most like extreme, like, I don't know, extreme version of what you thought, like it still does seem like they are, it still makes it feel a little bit like icky propaganda in some ways. Like, you know, have your children for the fatherland sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what you this is what you need to do. This is this is what good guys and gals do. Yeah. So I'm gonna very quickly go over again what I said in the in episode 17. First off, fuck you, Franks, you piece of shit show. Go fucking burn for that statement. That's a direct quote. <laughs> no, well, I'm just more glossing over and embellishing what I said. But secondly, I get, I'm very aware that Japan has a birth rate problem. I know about it. Like, aging population is a problem in a lot of Western countries. I get that. People are having less kids. I get that. Frank's, to me as a show, feels like one of those trite, bullshit, fucking millennials are ruining the world fucking headlines as an anime show by making this kind of statement. Millennials aren't having kids because blah, 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 blah. As opposed to, you know, actually addressing the real issues here. Why people aren't having children. Yeah, how about we get how about we get a fucking propaganda anime that pressures governments into lowering the cost of medical supplies for hospitals, universal healthcare, free healthcare, I don't know, some fucking to make kids... Uh, affordable to have. As a person who's had three of them, they're very expensive to have in this particular Western democracy called America. Um, this figure is probably outdated and is not adjusted for inflation, but about a couple of years ago, in the United Kingdom, from day of birth to 
day to the day that that child turns 18 it costs a hundred and fifty thousand pounds to raise that child to the parents a hundred and fifty thousand pounds now I could very well be misquoting that, and there are probably, you know, specifics to that that, you know, give it a more nuanced edge to it. But Frank's making the statement that having kids is great, and then not actually, you know, examining that or, you know, discussing any of the issues surrounding that why in our modern world we are not having as many kids as we used to is just utterly, utterly shambolic. This is... I'm getting more and more fond of this word because I feel it's got quite a bit of venom to it. Pathetic. It's fucking pathetic that it can throw this statement out there and not actually then offer anything to go with it. This this is a level a, a level of reasoning barely beyond elementary school. Like oh <laughs> like this this is this show's stance on you know having kids is kids are great could fit in a single tweet. As opposed to, you know, actually being anything meaningful. And and that's even disregarding, as I've said before, that that is offensive to people who cannot or do not want children. Yeah, that, who, that's, I people, mean, I really, yeah, I feel the sting of that now as with, as with the framing that you've talked about. And, you know, like pushing that, like, this, this is how you ensure the future of humanity. This is how you are fully exercising your humanity and and being the best you can be. That's very. That's a pretty exclusionary view of things, and uh, it sucks. Yeah, it does. And I'm going to make a prediction here now, right? Zero two has said that she can't have children. So, <laughs> Just, is something going to happen that miraculously opens her womb? She's going to die. You think? Okay. I, oh, I because think she, be, I... <laughs> because she's been cursed to be sterile. <laughs> she's she's going to die Jesus. because by this sh- by this show's measure of what the future is, it's the ability to have children. And since she can't, she can't be a part of this new future that's coming their way once they get this conflict's over with. So by that logic, she is going to die. And yet, and yet, I am going to bet you the code of the show will be that it will then reverse on this and say, but she did change the future through her actions. And she's allowed us, you know, this opportunity to march forward. And as I said, you know, we meet Sir and Kokoro with their kid, probably look as the sun rises. And if that happens, this will probably sit in my bottom five comfortably <laughs> of anime that I have watched. It will sit there in the depths of hell with like the likes of Mouse and fucking <laughs> Heaven's Lost Property for, me, for you turning so hard on that in such a trite and bullshit way. I mean, if you have a bullshit attitude, at least stick to it. At least be proud of it. You know, mm. people are you know saying I'm not racist, but uh, but black people except no, no, just fucking. But it's it. just the science. <laughs> just, just fucking be who you are. Don't be a pussy about it. So rant over. Moving on. So the Klaxosars attack, and it turns out that Mitsu and Kokoro are piloting together again. Now. I will admit, I will admit, I I will admit that in the previous episode, Futoshi said he did not want to pilot with Kokoro again. Now, I have a question. If that's the case, why didn't they literally just force him to do it? Like, Ape seemed very lax on occasion in exercising (laughs) their, you know, their ability to enforce things. It's true. Yeah, they're they're the smartest people on the planet. They've taken over the world. Yeah. Uh well so did they do they know 
that the reason Zero Two and Hiro recover their memories is is because of their piloting together? Like, are is Ape aware of that? I know that clearly Squad Thirteen is aware of that, and Nana is aware of that. But Nana, as we know, is not exactly the most uh, faithful employee. The thing is, like as you said, they're the smartest people on the planet, supposedly. So when Hero let that slip because he's an idiot, they should have figured that out. You're right. Yeah, touche. Correct. They should have figured that out. How else would they have done it? How else? So, indeed, as the battle goes on, Mitsuru and Kokoro start calling each other by their names. Keep calling by their names again. I admit, if they did pair them with anyone else, that might still have happened. Because, of course, you know, if, say, Mitsuru and Kokoro paired together... Sorry, Potoshi and Kokoro paired together again, heaven forbid, you know, they would still have shared memories. Enemies that admittedly are not as intimate as the ones that Mitsuru and Kokoro share... But still, that would be a possibility. But I think it would be best if you simply just mitigated the possibility. I remember feeling anxious and sort of icky. Where is this memory coming from? Yeah. Um. By the way, does this have any relevance to the rest of the episode? No. Not really? No. Like, they can't, no. Maybe. Maybe they're seeding it for something. For I mean, I'm sure the the full memories will come. Oh, back. they'll get it back. They'll get it back. And and we and someone will almost die, but not die. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, Ape does have a reason for not really giving a shit about any of this. Although, that being said, I just question why they would allow these kids to run free in the first place, given their ultimate plan. Like, they should have just shot them. <laughs> no, no, really. Like, with what we find out later of their master plan, the only people they need to actually enact this are Hero and Zero Two. Um, so the rest of them, they should have just shot them. No reason for them to be around. They're clearly rebelling. They might potentially pose a threat. Something might go wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, was I the only one who went to supervillain school here? <laughs> Am I the only one who's ever read a book and just thought, you know what? I would account for everything. This is not fucking difficult. Okay, so we have a four-minute-long scene of Hero and Zero Two as they descend the elevator in the Grand Crevasse down to wherever it is. And it's all very, you know, sweet and all that, that they're all like, you know, we'll st- always be together, I'll come find you. We'll travel the world. A whole new world, you mean? <laughs> a whole new world. <laughs> Would you like to see Spain? Italy? Yeah. So, I had just one thought as this was happening, and I couldn't help it. I thought, guys, you're sat on the ledge of, like, Strelizia's loading dock as it's descending. <laughs> if you slip, you're done for. <laughs> Like, sit in the cockpit and have this chat. Werner will catch just... them, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Franks and Hatchie are down on the ground level, by the way. Oh, is Hachi there? Um, I didn't know. I only saw Werner. Yeah, Hachi's perpetually with him, so... I like to imagine they're just, like, playing cards, trying to ignore them. Yeah, uh, but there is, you know, a new challenger appears, and... <laughs> So Strelizia, you know, sets off down the corridor to get to the star entity, and flying in from the middle of nowhere uh, is... The corridor, what... by the way, known as the bottom. Oh yeah, this this is it. it re- they reach the bottom. I, I do I do admire, you know, that they modified, like, the corridor and built this elevator, but they decided to label the floors as well. Like, okay, we're at the bottom of the Grand Crevasse, and then the next couple of floors up is laundry... Uh, cooking, hospitality, swimming pool, spa. <laughs> and then the bottom. And then the bottom, yeah. Did you notice uh, FF on the wall as well? Final Fantasy! Just proves that they're stealing from Final Fantasy. They are. And they're acknowledging it. Yeah. So, um, from out of nowhere, flying in, 
you know, new challenger appears, it's Sarah Kerrigan riding one of her giant Nidus worms. Mm-hmm. And she burrows like, down through the, the tunnel, takes out one of the Franks on the way, and bumps into her Doxa Franks. They have a reunion after all this time. And this is when he calls her Code 001. Right. Does that mean anything? No, it doesn't, because he obviously did not make her, but he still calls that. I don't get it. It doesn't matter. She was like the first encounter, and maybe he was making reports and shit and needed a way to refer to this new, like, alien humanoid being. Code Zero One. Something like that. Um, so, all of Frank's dialogue here, everything that he explains is just him continuing his shtick from his flashback, which is that he's chatting absolute shit that contradicts itself. <laughs> because, first off, he says, and this will be important later, he says something to the effect of, you are the last surviving Klaxo sapiens. Now, that will be relevant later, mm-hmm. so put a pin in that, folks. Um, and it turns out that he's wanted to pilot, you know, <laughs> with Co-001. Because it's all I've thought about. Because he's a fucking creepy bastard. Honestly, I, 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 if ever he did pilot Franks, I imagine his heart would probably put out a good riddance to him as well. So he says, okay... I want to pilot you, but you can't operate the Star and Humanity's Sea. last old man. <laughs> I know, right? The last naturally old person. Um, he says, you can't pilot the Star and Sea because it needs two people. Uh, and then Zero One fires back. Uh, sorry, Sarah Kerrigan says, no, I don't need a partner. Uh, sorry, Dr. Franks, you do not get to, you know, take a, come and take a ride with me. Hey, it is so presumptive. He is incredibly presumptive. Uh, however... I get the impression as as these episodes have gone on that Sarah Kerrigan is not exactly playing with a full deck herself because she then says, I don't need a partner, but since you provided one, I will use him. And my response was, why? No, really, why? Why bother? Why not just, I mean, I know who you're referring to. I predicted it as a joke. (laughs) When we had Emily on, I literally said as a joke, she and Hero will partner or hook up or something will happen. And I was right. But I, by the way, I thought she refers to our child a few times. Oh, I thought. <laughs> I thought they were talking about hero. I was like, how? I am like, so no. immensely happy that's not the case. Because I, because I was like, oh, I see. They're trying to set you up to make you think. That Zero Two is the child, but she's just the fake. The child is really hero. But no, the child was the baby hand. It's the star and see, I think that she's referring to, which is the same as the baby hand. What's the fucking giant hand? What is it? I don't know. I did you? They just. That it has to be. That has to be part of the star entity. We don't see it when the star entity comes to the surface later, though. So it has to like have taken a new form inside the star entity or some bullshit. Who knows? I don't... Who knows? Uh, I will just say, by the way, Doc, what you said about potential, you know, hero being, you know, the child of Franks and you know, Sarah <laughs> Kerrigan. Uh, one alternative theory I've seen pe- uh, sent elsewhere is that apparently Hero might very well be a clone of Franks himself. Because when you compare how they look, hi- young Franks and Hero in his current age look side by side. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. 
Um, <laughs> that I think you might be right, though. Well, that sucks. Well, actually, I will just throw it out there and say that I would not be adverse to that idea if they did something with it, because then it could be tied into Zero Two, and you know the idea of this is our genetic nature, you know, but this is how we are as people who've grown in you know nature versus nurture stuff. Yeah, that could be interesting. But we are approximately four episodes from the end, and the writers can't even keep their shit together in the same episode, as I'll get to. So, yes, um, Franks is like, no, you can't do this, whatever, and then something happens that I was very, very happy about and then immediately let down by. All the explaining? Well, no. uh, Sarah Kerrigan looks like she impales Franks dead. Yeah, oh! (laughs) I thought so too, I was like... Yes! He's reaching out to her yes! and up. Oh yes, she killed him. Woo! No, she just pinned him down. Best best girl in the anime, and then no, she's pinned him down. And then she's off. You sinful man. I do not need a partner. Yep. But since you've provided one, I will use it. <sighs> swish, 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 swish. So she goes off in pursuit of Strelizia and eventually does catch up. Zero Two has some kind of sense that she's coming, and, well, for reasons that become clear later, uh, thankfully, the princess mm-hmm. is able to actually deactivate Strelizia entirely and open up the cockpit from the outside, uh, after which point she just basically forcefully removes Zero Two because they can't fight back against her. I mean, she's Sarah Kerrigan, you know, the tentacles are too strong. So she then pins Hero down and decides to make out with him. Why? I don't it, know. That lasts a really long time. I thought she was, like, <laughs> you know, trying to, you know, get to the, you know, sugary core inside of him or something, like sucking out a Capri Sun. But <laughs> apparently not. Um, Zero Two grabs onto Strelizia's boarding ramp, but is then just thrown aside again. Uh, and then Strelizia turns, like, you know, Klaxosaur-coloured, so blue and black. And then mm-hmm. continues on its merry way to the Star and Sith. There's some discussion, you know, between, like, the ape guys and, you know, Frank says she will devour once again. And I'm like, what What does that matter? Like, that, What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What does that matter? Like, <laughs> Franks, please. Um, so it does indeed turn out that, you know, Sarah Kerrigan does not need Hero's involvement in this all. Because he's not piloting. I mean, she's certainly not wearing the suit with the paddles on it. So that's not happening. Uh, she does, however, have an, an amazing, you know, cross-legged, like, arms folded, this is, this. I'm above this nonsense pose, as she's piloting, yes. which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. And then, this is the point. This is the point where the show somehow, relative to what's been happening before, goes completely sideways. This is... This is falling down, you know... Li- Not quite. There's some stuff that happens before the the big... Although maybe you're talking about this stuff too. Franks goes back to the office and talks with Hachi. How did he get... Where, where did they go, actually? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But they talk about like what... what when, when she communicates her message, she being Sarah Kerrigan, to the rest of the humans. Mm-hmm. She says that they're stealing the symbol of their bonds. The magnetic uh, forces, the planet depths. Mako energy. So, Klaxosaurs are just weapons. They are not, like, they, they've lost their intelligence. Um, And the queen is the last 
Klaxosapien. I guess the rest of the Klaxosapiens are the magma energy? It says that some of them, they, they evolved in divergent paths. Franks is there to conveniently explain this. Like, he knew this all along, but didn't tell us before. I have a question about this. Okay, so, it, it turns out, um, as I said before in the previous episode, that the way the Klaxosaurs work is they're actually just robots much as the, well, they are, the Franks and the Klaxosaurs are one and the same. Dun, dun, yes. dun. Yes, exactly. Things that we've long suspected because of things like the Stampede mode and, of course, what we learn about you know, in the flashback, but doesn't really matter. So, jump back to episode 15. Do you remember when, I think it was Miku, destroyed a Klaxosaur, and then this little, like, gumball thing fell out of it? Yeah, that was part of the hand, right? Or the same episode as, as the big hand? That was part, that was the same episode. Yeah, this little thing covered in yellow, uh-huh. and she's like, what is yeah, that? Yeah, it yeah. looks vaguely human. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. So, it turns out that Klaxosaurs are piloted much like Franks's are, with a guy and a girl. And that, the goal, yeah, the humanoid-looking thing looks like it might have been, like, crystallized magma energy. Yeah. I have a question. If Franks, by his own declaration, says that, you know, the Klaxosaur princess is the last surviving Klaxosapiens, then who the fuck are the people piloting the other Klaxosaurs? They were, well, they're the energy beings. The Klaxosapien race evolved into. So wait, you're meaning to tell me that the magma energy is indeed Mako because it does contain the souls and the consciousnesses? Oh, fucking Jesus. I think so, yes. I think it is them. But but not like disembodied. There is no body. That's just what they are. You know, it's different from the live stream because the live stream is the disembodied souls after death return to the planet. These are just... That energy is just how these beings live. Like, there's no afterlife or sort of disembodied element to it but yeah no it's pretty much the yes the same thing um at least this is my reading of it that could be i could be wrong but that's how i understood it and then yeah the claxosaurs were they're like a weird weapon made out of the corpse of dead male and a dead female Klaxo something? This is not explained anywhere near sufficiently or clearly enough, and it ultimately does not change anything. Yeah, I mean, where do the bodies come from? Because I thought they evolved into energy beings. Yeah. Maybe they're old, like, pre-evolutionary bodies. Who who knows? Maybe they're the other sapiens that didn't... Yeah. It's... I think that they're from the Klaxo sapiens, but where are they coming from? How are they making new ones continually if the queen has been the last one for a long time, which is what seems to be the case? That's still a postcard, folks. <laughs> Just don't know. But yeah, they, they, they try to finish up some world-building stuff. And uh, yeah, the Franks are the same. If Dr. Frank somehow figured this method out. Maybe we are not so different after all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but imagine the Frank, the the Franks, uh, not Franks, the um, the the Klaxosaur pilot. It's one thing if you are a human, and you're piloting two dead aliens. It'd be like a human piloting something made from dead bodies, dead human bodies. That's just fucking weird. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't. It's got to feel feel a bit weird. I mean, maybe maybe it's very much like oh, like we're like sort of using all of them like they sacrificed them so they gave their life but their their usefulness to the race will continue on because we will use their corpses to make weapons to fight they who shall not be named 
yet. Uh, by the way, this is apparently being relayed to every single person in the battle because the, the queen, like Kerrigan, is using her psychic abilities to do this. This leads to an amazingly goofy shot of our other heroes filling in each other's sentences as they go along. <laughs> and I honestly thought, like, at the end, we were going to have an insert shot of Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, and they was going to go, Zikes! Oh, no, Scoob! The Klaxosaurs are, the, the, uh, are just the same! Ruh-roh! Like, for a moment that was meant to have a lot of gravity, that was just way too corny. You've mentioned this before, but um, the way that they kind of put it when they spoke about the construction of the Klaxosaur, that the female was the weapon and the, the male uh, deceased was the cockpit, I think it's really easy to draw straight lines from there to very tired, you know, old kind of gendered qualities of humans the man must be in charge the, of the, the woman is the, is the the rational the thinking part the decision maker and the the weapon the the attack the the instrument of of force and emotion uh is is what the woman is made from like that um that also is very sort of like yawn did fucking ray bradbury write this shit like, come on. I mean, I will also just... That's back... a very contemporary burn. <laughs> well, he would know, given he wrote a book about it. Heyo! Ah, Zing. I wonder what the Fahrenheit temperature would be needed to burn this show. I'm sure we'll find out. I mean, if you could tell me what it takes to melt a DVD or a Blu-ray, folks, then I'll, I'll buy that. Um, by the way, just to very briefly, briefly backtrack to episode 19, in which we got the flashback. So, okay... We did learn about, you know, the necessity of a male and a female. Why, in that case, are the cockpit positions the way they are? But so, moving on. Stress ball being squeezed in the background. Yeah. Um, so eventually, Strelizia does indeed meet, you know, interface with the star entity. Kerrigan mentions we must be ready for their return. Their return hey this mysterious yeah, so, like what are you talking about and it turns out the true enemy in this <laughs> show after all this time is space beat root Like, by the way, uh, but right before that happens, when the star entity has been taken and it's clear that the queen is kind of in control and Ape's plan has gone to hell, I love how they're pretty much like, fuck it. <laughs> if it gets taken, we'll just go to space. <laughs> it just yeah. is like, wait a minute, what? You're just giving up on humanity. What is this about going back to your original roles? What? Well, here we and go. And then it becomes clear. The next line in my note I have is alien shooting purple stuff. Yeah. The space <laughs> the space horse radishes attack. <laughs> like <laughs> suddenly 
And like the Klaxosaurs like grow as guns out of the ground. And start shooting into space. And Goro is just like, da fuck? And I'm like, yeah, da fuck? <laughs> yeah. So here it is, folks. It turns out after all this time, the ape, at least some of the members, were actually alien invaders sent as an advanced force to destroy or weaken the Klaxosaurs prior to an invasion because as the Queen, as Kerrigan tells us, they had invaded many, many millennia ago before humanity came around and they drove them off. I don't know how they did because the Klaxosaurs put up a piss-poor fight against the invaders as it happens in my opinion. The only thing that does do any real damage against them. They would have killed them though (laughs) if not for Ape. Well, here's the thing, right, about this whole skit. So, okay, the invaders, Verm, by the way, and before we go any further, I want to... The Verm? The Verm. Did you mention the Verm? Yes, the Verm. Let us squash the Verm. Let us us have the Verm handshake, if you'll know what I mean there. (laughs) Uh, Before we go any further, I would very much like to give a very special... What is my favourite kind of mattress? Oh. A Verm one. Oh. <laughs> oh, I like to be Verm and supper. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you know my favorite John Grisham book? <laughs> I bet you can guess. Uh. Ah, okay. Before we go any further, I want to give a very, very special shout out to Emily Rand, who guested with us two episodes ago because emily uh in a message in discord to me pointed something out which i found amazing and i could almost believe this is unintentional but it also probably is so we have ape and we have their true identity which is verm smash those letters together scramble them around and what word does it make vampire oh my sweet god Christ Almighty! And they have I literally been—they hit the earth. They have been sucking <laughs> the blood out of the earth. <sighs> Motherfuck! That all... please, please, fucking <laughs> come right now, Verm, and annihilate the human race. <laughs> I hate everything. <laughs> ah! This this does however leave open the door, you know, for when an English dub of Franks comes around for Verm to be voiced by someone who sounds like Vincent Price. So we can at least look forward to that. So, okay, I have questions about this whole thing, right? Firstly, there has been not a single shred of foreshadowing about an alien presence throughout the entirety of the show's run. The most we get is that some of the members of Ape are not human, but by that, that does not automatically jump to, you know, sleeper agents from outer space. To me, the, the most logical jump that I would make is that they're an AI. That's the thing I would have gone with. An, an API. An API. Ah! Artificial ape intelligence. <laughs> so that's why I would have gone with. There has been no foreshadowing of this in the slightest. Not one shred of it. I asked on Twitter if people could tell me if there had been. The most we guys are say that they were hinted to not be human. But otherwise, no. Not a Scooby. Not a thing. This is completely our left field. Not a scoopy. No. No, nothing. Nothing. Uh, two. The reason they're doing this is to get rid of the Klaxosaurs. Now, the Klaxosaurs only reawoke because of magma energy being extracted. And it seems to me, as far as I understand it, that Verm's plan was to blow the Earth up. 
maybe they wanted to capture the star and see, but I don't think they really need it because their weaponry seems pretty powerful as is. No, they just want to like their whole operation centered upon like they think it's too dangerous. Like they're they strike me as a sort of oh you're like, right they want um, to blow it up yeah they just want to play blow it up yeah okay they, they strike me as a sort of like space police or sort of guardians like. The star entity is this thing that's too dangerous and powerful, so we have to like do whatever we can to keep it from awakening. Okay. And so we've we've rigged it such that if Sarah Kerrigan enters it, it will explode. Okay. I have a couple of questions. First off, um if they just wanted to blow the star entity up on the planet as well, why didn't they just do that? Why I think they probably want the energy. The magma energy, you mean? Yeah. That's my guess. Okay, um, because at this point they seem very committed to blowing. And that's up probably the... why they. Well, that's probably why they invaded in the first place. It, it... Is to, I would assume would be to get the energy, but oh no, Claxosaurs are there. They beat us back. We have to go regroup. They regroup. Now we're coming back, and uh, this time we have a plan to fuck them up from within. They will die. The resistance will go away, and now we will be free to uh, suck upon this planet Earth. There's a problem with that, because that barely, barely rises above the level of in, of intelligence displayed in Independence Day. Because here's the thing, right? Here's the contradictory thing about sci-fi and space travel. If you are in space, and you can travel around space freely, you do not need another energy source. You have done it. <laughs> it is pointless. In Independence Day, President fucking whatever his name was says, they came here for our natural resources. They're in space. They've already got that far. They don't need it. How can they but, possibly well, need well, the fucking... Here, let me counter in two possible ways. One is, you know, you're driving your car and you're running on empty. You've got to stop at a gas station on the way. Now, however, this is not, of course, what what has happened with the Verm. They left and came back. So perhaps it became personal. They, they were just going to use it as a, as a fill-up, but it, it got personal. Or I think what's more likely is the energy that they want is for, like, biological functions, like for life function, like food. They want it as food rather than as space travel. But why, do, why can't they just engineer their own food if they have the technology to travel through space? Maybe it's not a technology thing. Maybe the Verm are... Maybe those spaceships are the Verm, but that's not true either because we see them jump out and they look humanoid. Fuck if I know, man. Yeah, this is a, this hasn't been false out. Uh, no, it is not. Does not pass the smell test. No, um, I mean if you want to literally blow up the planet, there's a very easy hard sci-fi way to do it, which is just to drop the moon on it. A bomb. <laughs> drop the moon on it. There you go. Job done. This like, come on, guys. Um, however. Sarah Kerrigan does not get off scot-free on this either. So, okay, I have a question. If Sarah Kerrigan was always capable of activating the Star Entity, because the reason that they need Strelizzi for this is because they wanted, you know, an interface that Zero Two could use. But I don't did not catch a single hint of, you know, the Star Entity simply, you know, having been unable to use prior to this point by the Klaxosaur Queen. So, my question then is, if the Star Entity has no immediately, you know, known way that it wasn't working... Why didn't she just use it to wipe out humanity? It's the most powerful weapon she has. Why not use it to blow up the plantations? I got nothing. <laughs> there are so many plot holes in it. Like, there could be a million possible reasons, but we're just not given any no. um, indication. It just it just goes... It just, it's one of those 
things that like makes it all feel so slapdash. Yeah. When you said it wasn't ready, you were right. As in, it was introduced in this episode. Exactly. <laughs> it conceptually had not been thought yet. No. The idea had not been birthed in the mind yeah. of the writer. The, mo- the most we ever learned about why they were going to the Grand Crevasse was to get Zero Two there. We never learned anything beyond that. So literally, they must have thought, oh shit, well, we're here now, we've got to think of something, oh, fuck it, whatever. I mean, I feel like what we came up with would have worked and been pretty standard, but but would still would have worked. You could have done some good drama from that. Uh, but the, the Verm is like this whole new deal, but I guess this like, and I think we're going to get into this, maybe now's as good a time as any, the fact that Ape are just Verm, which is is what is revealed next. There's nothing under those robes. They they were all this single organism, the Verm. So this whole time, this whole magma energy deal of this mysterious scientific organization that always wears masks and blah, blah, blah. They were just this alien being enacted this grand plan that would weaken the Klaxosaurs by stealing, by killing them and and weakening them and fucking up the star entity. So I guess now we don't really have to deal with all the political and social stuff, the implications of their regime, because the whole reason it was there was just was just this super sci-fi twist yep. of, like, one alien race, like, fucking another alien race over. It was a smokescreen. That was it. It was a con, much like this entire anime. <laughs> so, like, the thing I was praising last episode, you know, the the old eating, eating the young, the previous generation using the next one as a disposable resource to ensure their own comfortable way of life, like all that is kind of for naught because it wasn't humanity. I mean, humanity was culpable and went along with it, but like, like the teeth have been like it's been defanged mm-hmm. this criticism because it was really just an alien manipulating us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of the gross. I, I, I think it doesn't let it off the hook for a lot of the like regressive gender politics and the the camera framing and the um heteronormativity and stuff like i don't think it it gets it off the hook for any of that no but, um it certainly does not get off the hook for the uh, you know the whole kids of the future because that's something that the, our heroes learn for themselves it's not a policy of ape if anything it's a counter policy right. so they don't get off the hook for that but yeah otherwise as you've said it does kind of sort of defang the whole you know awful shit that's happened previously that you could read into it. And the good bit as well of, you know, the idea of the old consuming the young and all that. Yeah, that's that, that, which is what I think was a good thing about the show. But like, like everything like that, all, I don't know, I fucking, I don't know. It's hard to know where to begin. I don't even know. Well, the thing is, Firm don't, Firm are just doing all this, as you've, as we've said, to just achieve their end goal of getting rid of the Klaxosaurs, getting gold of, you know, the sweet honey trove inside the earth or whatever it is, you know. And, the thing about, like, you know, this the whole idea of dystopia is that when you do horrible policies like that, or horrible things like having children be disposable soldiers in war, it's because you genuinely believe in it to be the morally and ethically superior choice. Yeah, that's what makes it scary, is because 
humanity gets backed into a corner, like, and they're like, okay, this is what we need to do. This we justify it because we have to survive or whatever. Yeah, it is the genuine belief of the government. Now, Verm only did this because they needed it in order to, you know, enact their silly plan. It wasn't for its own sake. It wasn't perpetuate the long-standing, you know, rule of eight. They were going to dispose of it when it was necessary. So there's no thesis anymore. This show, like, the air is gone out of it. Now, that is a blessing or a, or a curse, depending on your perspective, or maybe it's a mixture of both. But mm. as we alluded to before, in some ways, this show feels like it's almost dying, it's writing is getting reactionary. And this, if you believe that the writers are smart enough, because that's self-contradictory, because them, they wrote themselves this car, so I didn't believe they'd be smart to write themselves out of it. But if you believe that, then you could read this whole plot twist with Verm showing up as them copping out. No, 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 it, it genuinely wasn't people being bad. It was the, the aliens. The aliens from, the, you know, the beyond, from the Galactic Vegetable Garden. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, great, I guess. It certainly gets them out of trying to make a coherent point, like out of all the muddled mess that's happened and seemingly kind of contrary notions flung around and half-baked ideas and not fully formed thoughts that the show has like tried to utter and put out there yeah it doesn't have to strain like that anymore no to try to put across something legible (laughs) something interpretable something clear uh it just is now like you said it just feels like it giving up yeah in a lot of ways right are throwing their hands up fuck it i'm done i'm going to the pub that's it which like you said you could you know you could see that as a blessing. As I was watching the show, my emotions were at first, I was like, oh my God, like what the fuck are they doing? Because this is not the sort of show that does this. It's turned into like a way less cool ripoff of Gurren Lagan in some ways. Go Buster and Die Buster. And then, and then I got a little bit excited. And I was like, wait a minute. Maybe this could be good. Because it's going to abandon all of sort of the the pseudo intellectual trappings and like political uh, references and and utterances and just be a fucking robot fight. It's like yes, like it's just going to be purple lasers versus blue lasers, star entity versus the invaders for four episodes. Humans have to figure out where their loyalties lie. Can they fight with the Klaxosaurs against the invader of their home? Like, can they stomach that? Like, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of deal? Or will they be their own faction? Like, I don't know. I was like, well, maybe this will be neat. But then, for whatever reason, they don't go down that path, and they short-circuit Star Entity. And my hopes of just a grand battle for four straight episodes, or maybe three with an epilogue episode, are dashed to the rocks. Yeah. I, I can already tell you, by the way, where the line's going to be drawn in this. The Nines are going to still be the villains that our heroes will fight. They will probably try. Right. They will probably try and stop the you know the crew on the ground from getting to the stars. Are they going to be? Are they going to be pro Verm the Nines? Because that was because Papa's a Verm. That yep, absolutely. Of course they are. They're so indoctrinated since this. They, I mean, come on, we've had so much you know mustache twirling. <laughs> I'm evil bollocks from these lot. 
There's no way that... I wonder if they'll be alien somehow. They're Klaxosaurs. They're, they're Klaxosaur hybrids. Because they still refer to, like, you know, huh. how how yeah. dare you insult Papa. Like, they don't... They, they're not in on the gig on this, I don't think. And even if they mm-hmm. are, they're still going to fight our heroes and be the, the you know, the roadblocks to the end. Um, so there's that. That's how that's going to go down. Maybe, you know, the Star and Sea goes out of control and then Strelizia will be freed. Strelizia will take possession of Ring Horny and use that to destroy the Star and Good, good old Ring Horny. <laughs> Saving of the world. Yeah. Horny saves world. <laughs> the headline in the next day's paper. Yep. And one final thing. One final thing. So, a lot of the trigger stuff that I've seen, and also, you know, from Gainax and such, is, of course, alien invasion stuff. And the Vroom ships, I mean, I joke about them being space beetroot and space horseradish, but they do look a lot like, to me at least, the monsters from the first uh, Gunbuster, from Gunbuster. Sure, yeah. They do. So, part of me thinks this is also a visual homage. Now, that's mm-hmm. nice and all. Here's the problem. Again, this has not been established. The aliens were the villains always throughout the entirety of Gunbuster and Diebuster. For that matter, in Kill the Kill, when we had the plot twists that happened in that, they redefined the relationships of the characters like, spoilers, uh, you know, Ryuko, Ryuko learning that Ragyu is her mother, uh, that changes her relationship with both her and with Satsuki. It affects the characters. This does not change anything for the characters. Like, they were already going against Papa, and now, like, you know, Papa's disappeared, he's been replaced by aliens, so they're just going to be shooting at different targets now. The most we might get out of it, maybe, is Zora May, you know, going, oh my god, I've been lied to all this time. But, mm-hmm. this is this is completely and utterly not in the same league as far as it goes, either in terms of, like, you know, their utilization as an enemy, because they're just out of left field in the finale, or, you know, in terms of you know, a twist that actually defines or changes character relationships. So, this is bollocks. This is bollocks on every conceptual level, as far as, you know, writing goes. It doesn't, you know, it's not been foreshadowed properly. It doesn't make sense when you consider, like, you know, the history that they spout about the history of, you know, Verm and the Klaxosaurs from previously. It doesn't make logical sense as to why they would do this plan. It doesn't change the character's understanding of anything. This is a complete failure. This twist should be exciting. I should be like, (gasps) (laughs) it should take my breath away. As it did with Ragu. I was like, I mean, admittedly, I kind of figured that out ahead of time because I thought to myself, wait a minute, they dumped a baby down the chute and then, you know, Ryuko's got no no mother. Hmm. I mean, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, I got, I kind of figured that out ahead of time, but it did, you know, excite me because it changed things you know for the characters it changed the way they acted towards each other this doesn't mean jack diddly shit for any of them they don't know who verm are like you said it might mean that they have to fight alongside sarah kerrigan it might mean that they have to fight against the nines that was a given that that's been a given for such a long time i know but but you to be fair it is a relationship change because of the world change They've not liked the Nines for ages, though. Like, it was, like... that's No, they've been antagonistic, but they've always been on the same side of the, the battle lines. Until now. Dun-dun-dun! So, okay, yeah, that's that's fair. I... But, uh, right, but it's it seems like uh, uh, it's a fait accompli. It, it really feels like, you know what I mean? Like, as you say, it's it's been a given. 
in a lot of ways. It doesn't change kind of the interpersonal relationships very much at all. Like they just get to really unleash on each other. Yeah. And so it's not it's not quite this it's it's not nearly the same thing as how Ryuko and Sasuke's relationship changes. No. That was a very dynamic shift. Hell, you a very substantial. Yeah. I mean, I remember from Kill the Kill when they did their joint transformation for the first time, and all they did for that, Trigger that is, was use the same canned animations of them transforming, you know, in, with Senketsu and Junketsu side by side. So they had to squeeze it in, in the, you know, in this aspect ratio with the same song playing. And I still felt a massive surge of excitement because mm-hmm. they were, because the context had changed, because they were doing it because they were now working together. This was, you know, two incredibly powerful characters like, you know, Satsuki, like, you know, is just a fucking chess master. And Ryuko's just like, you know, I don't care who you are, I'll knock you the fuck out. And now they're coming together. And I was super pumped for it, even though it was the same canned thing I'd seen many times before. So that's how good that twist was and what it did. This could not give less of a toss about it. I have nothing more to really add about this episode. Like the... I know, I feel like a deflated balloon. Yeah. I mean, really. I have nothing more really to add. Like, okay, we've described what happens. Yes, the Star and Sea, as you know, short-circuited by Verm. They're going to blow it up. Whatever. Um, Zero Two has survived, but is bleeding out as she walks down a corridor. By the way, I very strongly get the impression from the way this is shot. Um, I don't know what the technique for this is, but generally speaking, um, you want to have a continuity of direction. And when I say that, when Strelizzi was travelling to the Star Entity previously, the direction was from right to left. Zero Two, as she is walking, um, while bleeding out, is going in the opposite direction, seemingly, from the way it's framed, because she's going from left to right. So uh, you're going the wrong way, love. And the corridor is fucking huge, so she'll be in there for at least seven... She's going to get the... She's getting the horny, though. She's retrieving the horny. From Where is it, though? (laughs) <laughs> how does she get to it's it great, it's a great question also i feel like the verm might have it since they are the only ones that talked about it and developed it yeah they have no so idea I, I don't fucking know also like the queen gave an arm injury to someone else i wonder if we're supposed to draw parallels or whatever i mean granted she didn't bite her arm off but no she I feel like whenever the queen gets violent someone's arm gets starts bleeding everywhere why is the zero two's legs or arms broken from that height like she looks like she's been like mauled but she hasn't uh, yeah whatever she's gonna heal from it she's got a healing factor it's fine so it's fine yeah it's fine it's fine it's fine all right so that's it folks that's episode 20 <sighs> a whole new fucking God. fucking world but same shit different day with this show i'm very sorry to say yeah, just a, a yet another time, like, last episode was super bad, but just during this episode, I got a little excited and then deflated once again. Mm. The show's very, very good at deflating my excitement. Mm-hmm. So, Doc, in the end, what score would you give to episode 20 of Darling the Franks, the new world, brave new world that it is? Uh, I'll give it uh, 1.8 hornies out of 5. Fair enough. Uh, that's the most granular score we've ever given on um, this <laughs> show, actually, if I'm <laughs> No, I've given... There's been a decimal point. I feel like I've given something a 3.25. That, that sounds like right. there's an episode of... Uh, of uh, MMO Junkie. Yes. Oh, man, you remember MMO those days? Oh, when I, what, days. Oh, I When the like, bad episodes were still 3 out of 5. They were so, they were so much fun. I love that show so much. 
before we discovered it's uh before we decided on our difficult second album this is our elf and lead to our Sugiga, basically just in a week just in a weekly format i feared that would be the case and it's now true but well you know we can all go up from here uh as for me i'm gonna throw everyone a curveball i'm gonna give this episode a question mark out of five because (laughs) it was so it was so utterly incomprehensible regular thinking people could not have written this this show has been written by trilobites or by amoebas or aliens it has been written by people with moon logic you know or youtube (laughs) algorithms it has not been written by a human hand it is not a work of human creation i can't judge it as one i genuinely can't i can't fathom in what way any of this sounded like a good idea unless you want to take the road of utility of utility which is we did this twist because we wanted to take all, you know, the controversy out of the show. But that precludes way too much intelligence on the writer's part. Intelligence that, if they had in the first place, would have never caused the issues they're trying to solve. So catch-22 here. It's a contradiction. So no, question mark. This is the unrated episode, you know, the divide by zero. This is the blue screen of death of this, of anime. This is, it's, that's, that's how bad this fucking narrated pretzel is that they've twisted for themselves. So that is that. Fucking aliens, man. Mother fucking aliens. Especially when they're on work release program, just showing up. Especially when... In the room, when you're recording. I know. Fucking, fucking Zyvox, man. Zyvox would come up with a better plan than Verm for this. (laughs) He really needs to, like, offer some sort of correspondence course to to the Verm on how to do evil shenanigans. Yeah. Pretty much. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you, as always, for listening to Stream of Thought here at Waridesho. We are very, very close to the end now with Darling in the Franks. We have only one, two... Can it please end? (laughs) Just, I wouldn't be sad if they were like, next week's the last episode. (laughs) If they they just gave up. Yeah. 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 But but in in a couple weeks' time, though, we have uh, another guest gracing our our glorious podcast yes. so look out for that that'll, that'll be good I'm looking forward to that um, so as always thank you very much for listening Doc where can we find you on the internet uh, at the subtle doctor on twitter uh, everyone please uh, tweet super robot shows at us yes that please we do podcasts on uh, make Shadon watch Gurren Lagan. So, uh, perhaps that will uh, merge those two suggestions and that will just be the next thing that we watch but give us your feedback, because I want the good robots back in my life. These are the bad ones. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. As for me, you can find me at Shade and 1010 on Twitter, as always, if you want to discuss this show or others. I'm going to just throw out one final code, which is to say that I feel really, really badly for the people actually making the show. Not the people writing it. The actual people who are spending so much time creating this show, like animating it, playing in long hours. I think back to like, stuff that we've discussed previously, like in our feature-length episodes that was bad, like Elf and Lead, for example. And it always now comes back down to the same thing to me, is that, yeah, sure, there is some bad animation in spots here and there. But that, you know, going through the process of animating something is, to me, infinitely more difficult than actually just playing pen to paper. So to those people, I, you have my absolute sympathies. And there is a bright spot, actually, because 
earlier today, uh, at the time of recording, Trigger X Arc System Works. We could, dare I say it, have a fucking Guilty Gear anime on the way from Trigger. Oh, so I was going the other way. I thought it just meant that um, Trigger characters would show up in Blade's Blue Cross tag. That is actually confirmed not to be the case. Ooh. A member of our... Have they... Have they confirmed whether or not it's an all-trigger fighting game? No, there's nothing more than that other than it's not Blaze okay. Blue related. Now, I am, of wow. the, I am of the opinion it's an anime, and there's a reason for that. Um, first off, there isn't any actual um, similar countdown or hints of this on any of Arc System Works' own websites. Um, secondly, this is Guilty Gear's 20th anniversary this year. Thirdly, on the actual countdown, it's Trigger X Arc System Works not vice versa. Now, maybe I am reading a lot into that, but that would suggest to me that Trigger are the ones leading on this, and they're probably licensing mm. stuff from Axis. Now, whatever this ultimately turns out to be, I'm happy for it one way or the other. I cannot think of two companies that I've, that do should you know should have partnered up before now, apart from these two. <laughs> Their sensibility suits each other really well. And hey, if it does turn out to be a kill or kill fine game, I mean, you, Doc, and I have seen like you know those fan drawing pictures of like Killer Kill fan mm-hmm. game, the ones with Mako like backhanding it. I will be a day one Mako main, folks. It will happen. Because <laughs> yeah, that will be amazing. That that will be an incredible game. And hell, if they wanted to throw in some Little Witch Academia and Space Patrol Ludico characters, I wouldn't be sad. Yeah, just just keep Franks out of it. They won't be able to do that anyway because <laughs> unless they had zero They'd two, have to pay a one. <laughs> <laughs> they would have zero to no, it, perhaps, maybe, but that's a push. But yeah, um, so there is a light at the end of the tunnel for Trigger at the very least, and I'm, that being said, you know, I'm going to curb my optimism a little bit. But until that time, folks, and until next week, thank you very much for listening, and as always, everyone, embrace each other until the ends of the universe. Mwah.